Anyway, um, just a, a little heads up for, for the Love Bristol team, but also uh, about five people from Woodies went out to with, with a, a, um, Amy last week just to um, take on the, the, the work in Poland. And um, three of them have stayed on because there was no one to take their place. And it cost them 500 quid to rebook their flights. So if you felt, oh, I'd like to support them a little bit, um, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely put some money in this church. But if you felt, I'd like to back that offering a little bit, then um, just tell me and I'll make sure it goes to a good home. Um, this is Firebreak Sunday. If you're watching online, great to see you. And um, I, you know, it's a different atmosphere at home in your cottage than here in the building. But um, we hope that you sense, if you like, the, the love of God in, in the room. Firebreak Sunday, what does that mean? Well, it means we're taking a break from our normal series of sermons. We normally have about a little preaching series, and this is a bit of a one-off. But, um, you know, in nature, in, in forestry, a fire break is you kind of take down a line of trees to stop fire spreading. But in church, it's the opposite. We want the fire to spread. You know, at, at Woodies, we're, we're wanting to kind of feel as if that temperature, the temperature of the spiritual life of God among us is exponentially rising, so there's a bit of a fire here, you know. So let's have that fire break as a place to spread the fire, not to limit it. Is that okay? And, um, you know, what, what we want to think a little bit tonight about is the work, how the work of the Holy Spirit transforms lives. It's great to hear Jonathan's story. Jonathan, he was a marine, he was not afraid of the water. But um, it's, it's a kind of an amazing thing to see somebody have a transformed life. And I'm just going to ask um, my friend Ash to share a little bit about her life, the way in which the Holy Spirit has been involved in spiritual transformation with you, Ash. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Ash, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about um, my story, how I came to faith. Um, but I'm going to tell you a bit about my family. And um, it's going to include some stuff about domestic violence. So I want to, before I speak just say that this is just my story and it doesn't undermine anybody else's story or feelings around that and I also want to just take a minute to um, just acknowledge the strength and the courage that my mum had to bring her family her children to a safe place so um, yeah when we when I was two um, my mum she left my father because there was domestic violence in that relationship there was me and my brother, and she was seven months pregnant. And um, we went to live in Chiswick Women's Refuge. And uh, they said to her there, we're going to take you to Bristol so you can have your baby safely. And I think the plan was that we were going to go back at some point, And that didn't happen. So growing up for me, I think it was really quite difficult because it came apparent that I was grieving. I was grieving the loss of my father. But I didn't have language for that. I didn't have a way of telling people that I was sad or, or even know what I was sad about. So um, that came out in other ways. Um, by the time I was 16, I think my relationship with my mum had broken down quite badly and I left home and I ended up living in um, women's hostels. Um, as I grew up, things settled down and I got married and had children and things were okay. Um, when I was 38, my dad actually found a way of making contact with me, and I um, spent some time getting to know him. It was really funny, after the week that I met him, he spent a couple of days in Bristol with me, and I, I think I was brushing my teeth and looked at myself in the mirror, 
And it was like seeing my face for the first time, you know, really understanding my facial expressions and, yeah, knowing where I'd come from. And um, we, we spent a year get, getting to know each other and I can remember talking to him on the phone one day and I said, okay, well, I'll speak to you tomorrow. And he said, like all tomorrows. And at six o'clock the next morning, I got a phone call to say he had passed away in the night. And I think all the things that I'd gone through in my life, nothing really touched that moment, the pain that I felt. It was like losing, had been given something that I needed so much and then having it taken away. And um, I would go to bed at night and this just this pain would just envelope me and I didn't even have energy to cry with any force. It would just seep out of me. But I became aware that I wasn't alone, like there was this presence with me. And um, a friend of mine suggested that I do Alpha. I said I would do that. And I was watching some church services online. And there was, it was Easter time. And there was a service particularly about Mary Magdalene, um, you know, going to Jesus' tomb and not finding him. And that just really spoke to me, that love that she had. And she had lost somebody she loved very much. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to discover more about that. We started Alpha. That was seven years ago now. I did Summer Alpha. And I think week seven, we had some teaching on the Holy Spirit. And I think it's important to say I had no church background. So I had no expectation of what that would be. And I can remember sitting in the front row on the edge of my seat not really knowing what the teaching was about. I think we were going beyond where I had been. Um, but I knew that I wanted this prayer. I needed this prayer. And um, so I had prayer. And while I was being prayed for, I kind of felt, uh, the first thing I felt was, was heat, more heat than somebody else's body would generate. And, um, and then feeling my equilibrium kind of start to shift. I was being pulled and pushed and yeah I didn't know what that feeling was but I'd been walking in my own strength for such a long time that I just surrendered to it and um, I surrendered to the love of God really and I and I fell I wasn't expecting to fall I had no idea that that sort of thing happened um, so didn't try to break my fall or anything in fact when I came to I was quite surprised that nobody was sort of panicking <laughs> this big thing had happened um, but yeah, that, that, those moments really set my life on a completely different trajectory. I can remember writing to my alpha leader and saying, I feel like breakdancing. Yeah, I don't breakdance. So that was a bit strange. But yeah, and, and that carried on for about a year. This just this, um, my vitality had been restored to me and I was just, it was like discovering the world again. And um, so... I think at the time during Alpha, I'd been praying about a couple of things. So one of the ways I was dealing with um, losing my dad was I'd started to drink more heavily than I should have. And, um, and I'd always smoked. I'd smoked since I was about 12. So and I started praying and I said, you know, Lord, if, if, you, if you can, you help me with my addictions. And uh, so as a very new Christian, I felt that he said to me, I'm going to take that away. I didn't know what that was going to look like, how that was going to happen. Mm -hmm. But on the 9th of July that year, so that's 2016, I gave up drinking, smoking, taking caffeine, 
and I haven't had any of that since. So that was the first time, really, that I felt the power of God in my life. This year, I've been able to go back to one of the women's hostels that I lived in when I was 17, and, yeah, go with the good news of the gospel, and just be building relationship with some of the women that live there, and that's just been amazing to feel, you know, that God has brought me full circle. And it feels as though that sort of pain and suffering has not really been in vain, that God is gathering it all, not just redeeming me, but redeeming the times of my life and gathering them to himself and doing something amazing, doing something powerful with it. The work of the Holy Spirit is extraordinary. In the New Testament, baptism in water and baptism in the Holy Spirit happened very close together. Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. We're looking back almost 2,000 years to a sermon that was preached in Jerusalem after Jesus has died with a group of believers who are waiting for something that they didn't know what it was going to quite look like, but they knew it meant they were going to be clothed with power from on high. And when that day came, they were all, all 120 of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they just poured out on the street. They were in a state of ecstasy. They were praising God in different languages. And a crowd gathered around them. And Peter, when he preached to the crowd, told them, this is that which was promised in the Old Testament. I'll pour out my spirit on all people. And and they they were cut to the heart because they'd been involved in kind of validating the crucifixion of Jesus. And and they said, well, what should we do? And and, And Peter said to them, repent. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This gift is for you, for your children's children, for all who are far off, for all who the Lord will call. And, and that day, 3,000 were baptized. They had a bigger pool than that. And, um, and, and they joined the church. You know? and, and from that time on, when you read through the New Testament, the book of Acts, all that preceded, all that followed on from, from, from the events of Jesus' death, People had experiences like Ash described. People had experiences, as you read about the day of Pentecost. The early church understood that it was for everyone. And, um, and actually, baptism and, and in water and baptism in the Holy Spirit, they were all mixed up. Sometimes people would get baptised with the Holy Spirit, like Cornelius, the first kind of big, big wig Gentile who became a Christian. And, and Peter was preaching to him, and the Spirit came on him and his household and, and people said, we better baptise them quick. They've already got the Holy Spirit. Other times, people got baptised. And in Samaria, a whole bunch of people believed. But they hadn't yet received that kind of empowering experience. They'd been baptised. So the apostles came down from Jerusalem. We can read about this in Acts chapter 8. And, and they laid hands on them. And they all were filled with the Spirit. And the priority of the New Testament was, this is for everyone. This empowered life. The kind of life that gives me a sense of who I am in Christ Jesus that sets me free from addictions like Ash described, things that hold me back, things that empower me to live differently. And honestly, the work of the Spirit is fundamental to what it means to follow Jesus. Without the Holy Spirit in our lives, without the Holy Spirit in my life, I can't live the Christian life. The Holy Spirit confirms my identity as a child of God. He cries out within me, Abba, Father. 
The Holy Spirit helps me to be good. I can't be good. But the Holy Spirit living in me brings spiritual fruit in my life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. The Spirit of God helps me to pray. The Bible says we don't know how to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with sighs and groans, deeper than words. We can't do the ministry of Jesus. We can't heal the sick and cast out demons and you know, take the gospel to the ends of the, of the earth unless the Holy Spirit helps us, but he does. So the priority then is we are spirit-filled people. And the Bible doesn't just say have a one-off experience of the Holy Spirit. The New Testament also prioritizes the life of the Spirit. It says go on being filled with the Spirit. It talks so much about the way the Holy Spirit really informs the whole of our Christian life. The challenge is, it's possible to begin with the Spirit and then to lose something of that Spirit-filled life. And the reason we're taking this subject during firebreak, honestly, is if you look at church history, and actually if you look at your own life, it's possible to manage out to neglect, to quench, to move away from the dynamic life of the Holy Spirit. In, in some ways, it's a bit like you can have a, a, a something like a marriage. You know, when you get married, it's not very different from getting baptised. You kind of do something public that you decide in your heart, in front of witnesses, and you say, this is a commitment that I'm going to make for the rest of my life. And, and you know that actually there's something really wonderful and there's a real love thing ignited there. And yet, we can lose our first love. We can lose our sense of commitment. And that can happen to us with the Holy Spirit too. And so we we read in Galatians chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish After beginning by the means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So I ask again, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you believing what you heard? In other words, for this church that had begun in the Spirit, Paul's saying to them, you're getting religious. What started as life is being turned into ritual into kind of practices rather than that kind of leaning on the dynamic life of the Spirit. And um, Galatians also says this, I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, the Spirit what's in contrary to one another. They're in conflict with each other. It talks about the possibility of grieving the Spirit. In the book of Ephesians, Paul writes, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And Thessalonians says this. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Test them all. Hold on to what's good. Reject every kind of evil. There's a whole bunch of kind of warnings about quenching the Spirit. So why do we do it? I just want to give you a few reasons why people have stepped away from the life of the Spirit. First of all, the work of the Spirit is opposed on a number of fronts. When Jesus came, 
he was introduced as the one who was going to baptise with the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism in power, it immediately led him into conflict. It said the Spirit led him into the desert to be tempted by the devil. There was spiritual conflict. And the life of Jesus was a life that was characterised by kingdom activity. Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God. And for him, it was as if the life of the Spirit was like a mighty kind of storm bringing the the power of the kingdom of God to enemy-occupied territory and setting people free. And so for Jesus, the work of the Spirit is about kingdoms in conflict. If you become a Christian, you're actually entering a life where there will be conflict. There will be blessing. There will also be conflict. It's a bit like marriage. Now, I'll I'll move on. That was a joke. Um, But... um, but there's something that opposes the, the work of the Spirit. Some of it is just our own nature. I read, didn't you, that the flesh and the Spirit are against with one another. Honestly, there's part of me that's carnal. What I mean by that is it kind of wants, it's, it's, it's very material, it's very appetite-driven. It wants me to be in charge of my life. I don't want, part of me doesn't want to give over control of my life to God. I want to be in control of my life and to do exactly what I please. There's a resistance to the Lordship of Christ and the life of the Spirit. There's a resistance from other people. In the Bible, when Jesus does a miracle, some people rejoice and some people get mad. You know that people tried to kill Jesus by, because he did wonderful things like raising Lazarus from the dead. There's more than one occasion where people try to kill Jesus because he did miracles. Miracles provoke a backlash. The life of the Spirit provokes a backlash. Part of it is demonic and part of it is human. It's about different power structures. There is real opposition. And so we have to be intentional about pressing in to the work of God and not letting go of it, persevering with it, holding on to it. Paul talks about his work as an apostle, done signs and wonders, the marks of an apostle, done with great perseverance. Honestly, from time to time, I know this has been my story, that I've backed off. I've, I've got disrupted. I've, 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 you know, there's been a, a few little defeats in my life that have stopped me living in the fullness of the Spirit. And that is the second thing about the work of the Spirit, The work of the Spirit is very disruptive. John Wimber, one of my kind of spiritual heroes, he's dead now, but he's a great Christian leader from America. He used to say, it's very neat and tidy in the graveyard. It's it's messy in the nursery. Where there's life, there's mess. Where there's life of the Spirit, there's mess. Jesus talked about an old wineskin and a new wineskin. He says that the, the new wine, which is his metaphor for the spirit is so kind of fizzy it disruptive you can't put it in an old wineskin in an old structure it will break it it needs to be something new and flexible and again I, I'm, I'm in my 60s I've, I've lived through some seasons of the spirit and honestly some of them have been immensely disruptive in my life they've they've made life uncomfortable for me they've forced change upon me it's been incredibly worth it vitally life-giving but very disruptive. And from time to time, in, in, in my role as a church leader, we've had services where the Holy Spirit is present, has been very strongly present, and those services have been disruptive. In Jesus' time, it was like that. You know, Jesus spent a lot of time preaching in synagogues, 
they were like little churches really and the, the synagogues had people who, who were meant to keep it nice and orderly people were excluded from the synagogue and excluded from the temple if they were messy if they were richly unclean maybe they're bleeding if they were a bit crazy keep them out you know it's kind of let's keep it nice and ordered Jesus goes into a synagogue Mark's gospel someone screams out we know who you are the son of God have you come to destroy us it was a demonic power speaking through someone who was right and regular up till that point but the presence of the spirit in Jesus had exposed hidden spiritual powers and Jesus set him free from a demonic power honestly in my experience, when the work of the Spirit is in power, things like that happen today. But it's disruptive. It's uncomfortable. I mean, have, how do you feel about being in church where people scream? Happens from time to time when the Spirit's moving. We've been doing a little course called Empowered. And honestly, it's encouraged my heart. I've had about 100 people on a Tuesday night. We've got one this coming Tuesday. And um, we've, we've talked about the work of the Spirit, and then we've had ministry time. And um, yeah, someone got so disruptive on Tuesday, they were kind of locked rigid. They couldn't move. I thought, how are we going to get this person home? We did get them home in the end. But it was, you know, it's kind of, it took some time, you know, but the, the power of the Spirit was present. But it's disruptive. Third thing is, you know, that the power of the Spirit can be held immaturely or selfishly. Not fruitfully, the power can be distorted. You know, in Acts chapter 8, there's a magician called Simon Magus. And before the disciples had come, he'd been the spiritual big noise in Samaria. Because he could do some stuff, he had some psychic power. But when the apostles came, actually he believed himself and got baptised. But then he said, oh, that work of the Spirit, I'll give you some money if, you, if I can do what you do. And, and he got told off, actually. But there's something in his spirit that wasn't right. And something about the work of the Spirit can be dangerous and it can be manipulated. Honestly, sometimes when a leader, a preacher or a teacher is moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, they could become quite magnetic. And if they don't handle that right, or if people don't handle that right, that can be very unfortunate. And people with faith can do wrong things sometimes and that discredits the ministry of the spirit and we just want to back off from all of that but the big thing about the work of the spirit i think is it demands constant vulnerability and surrender and and that's why well it's, it's another reason why we kind of don't keep the life of the spirit flowing it demands constant vulnerability and surrender. I can never heal anybody unless Jesus does it. And I would like to discover a formula that enabled me to look good as a Christian minister. Honestly, people in my sort of job, we'd love it. If we could just kind of um, have that phrase or do that action and people would get blessed, people would get healed, people would come to faith. But it's not like that. It's constant vulnerability. 
Jesus lived that life of vulnerability. He said, I only do what I see my father doing. And if you track the life of Jesus, it's very difficult to pin a formula on him. One time he'll come across a paralyzed man and say, son, your sins are forgiven. And then pick up your mat and walk. Another time he'll find another paralyzed man and say, pick up your mat and walk. And then stop sinning unless something worse happens to you. He, he'll, he'll kind of, he'll at a distance, he'll another time make mud and spit on it and put it on someone's eyes and they'll get healed. He'll go places or not go places and people can't work out why. Why aren't you going to Jerusalem? Why are you staying away when your Lazarus, your friend is sick? Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And Jesus tells us, do what you see me doing. And that is very vulnerable. And it takes time. It takes a secret inner life. It takes listening to God. It takes dialing down your own excitement and your own ego and saying, I can't do this. It takes being foolish and getting it wrong sometimes. It takes trying to take risks in prayer and sometimes being disappointed and heartbroken. It means praying for a lot of people and some of the people you pray for dying. And you're wondering, if I was better minister, would that not have happened? It's all that kind of stuff. And I, I just, just saying to us, Woodlands Church family, we've got better at, at running a kind of well-organized, slick church. Not not slick as Metro. <laughs> you know, we, we have got a bit better at it. But have we got better at the life of the Spirit? Or have we managed out something of him? And what's our reputation based on? So this, this talk really is a call back. Or maybe it's not a call back, maybe it's a first time call. But it is a call to say, church family, those of you watching online, those watching Catch Up, are you up for the spirit-filled life? Taking risks. Waiting. You know, the, the early disciples... Jesus ascended into heaven. It was Ascension Day just last Thursday, I think. And they said, but he said, you know, wait until the Spirit comes. They waited. Why did they wait? It was days. It was a couple of weeks. Why did they wait? Why are we, what, what risks are we willing to take? Are we willing to say, are we willing to be desperate enough? To be the, like kind of the people that Jesus said, ask it be given to you, seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. But keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Don't give up. Always pray and never give up. I think there's a hunger here. I just want to ask, ask you just to help me. If you just wave your hand, if you feel there's a bit of spiritual hunger growing in your life at the moment. Oh, I guess that's probably why you're in church, you know, but... But I think that hunger is something that the Spirit himself is doing. So we want to say yes to the Holy Spirit tonight. So we're going to just take a chance just to, just to say yes to God now. And I'm going to invite you 
to um, wait on him a little bit. We won't have any music right now, just where we are. If you feel you want to say yes to this, more of the Spirit, I'm going to invite you to stand. And Jesus once said, well, he more than once, he said, what do you want me to do for you? I want to ask you to ask Jesus that question now. Well, Jesus asked you that question. Will you tell him what you want him to do for you in terms of the life of the Spirit? Just ask him. If it's fill me with the Spirit, say that. If it's heal me, say that. If it's give me a gift, say that. If it's restore my first love, say that. But just take a moment to, just while you're standing, and ask him to do that. Father, in the name of Jesus, answer those prayers. In the name of Jesus, pour out your spirit now. Jesus is giving some tokens to some of you around the room. You know, when you get married, he gives tokens. It's a, a ring. It's not the love. Actually, you could lose it and get another one. That'd be fine. It's a token. But Jesus right now wants to give tokens of his presence to you. And they may be things in your physical senses, on your body. Holy Spirit, bless what you're doing right now. where you're standing you, you, you feel as if God's got his hand on you it's a token and, and receive it to say yes thank you God for that And we're just going to take a chance to, to pray for people before we finish our service. I know we've gone on a little bit long, but it's a baptism special, isn't it? It's good. And so what, I, what I, I'd like to do, if, if you're one of those people who felt like I stood and um, just God gave me a little bit of a token and, and there's something in me that wants to press in, into more of him, I'm going to ask you and ask the ministry team just to come out here. I, I want to ask you to come forward to this baptistry place and we're just going to put a little bit of that water on you. We're going to sprinkle you a little bit as a sign that the, the Spirit of God 
He's going to fill you again, overflowing your life and um, empower you. So, yeah. Yeah. Nigel? Um, uh, along with, with coming to the front here, um, Rachel just accidentally called this baptism pool the birthing pool. Have you heard that? Um, but actually, in a way, it is right that it's a place of new life. And um, uh, a lot of the, the what Dave's been talking about, of getting hold of the Spirit, um, I think is actually to do with saying sorry to God where we've not pursued the Spirit. And I, I, I felt very emotional, very sad. Um, that, that Okay, I, I, I actually, I've traded you, Holy Spirit, for other things a lot less. And actually what I need to do is just say sorry to God. And maybe again in coming forward, just using this water as a sign of cleansing for sin and say, God, would you forgive me? And actually would you fill me afresh with your spirit? So I just, I'm going to do that myself because I need to. But I just wonder whether maybe for some of us here as well, that's part of our responding to actually the work of the spirit in our lives.